to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we're convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Uh, we're going through the story of God. We're, we're walking through the Bible. And so if you have a Bible, or you want to grab the one in the pew in front of you, it, we're in 2 Kings chapter 22. But one of the reasons we're going through the story is because we're, we're trying to say, what does it look like to let this story shape our lives? What does it look like to let the story not just be some story, but the story through which our lives kind of come under and come into and are transformed by? And I don't know what your relationship's like with scripture, but one of the things that often happens is that we come to scripture and we choose to be an authority over scripture. So we find things within scripture that we like, and we're like, oh, we're going to camp on those. We, We find things within scripture that we don't like, and so we either ignore or avoid or try to explain those away. And if everybody kind of does that with the story, what you end up with is this really twisted story. And ultimately, it's not a vision of who God is, it's a vision of who I am. This is what I like, this is what I don't like, this is what I like to do, this is what I don't like to do. And so I'm gonna sort of cut and paste the pieces that I like into my own little Bible world, and then I'll just get rid of the rest. And that's what happens when we take the Bible and we put it underneath us and we declare that we're the authority over Scripture. The alternative is to say, what what would it look like to submit my life to the Scriptures so so that the Word of God is actually something that I'm underneath And it reveals, it has this power of revelation, not just to tell a story, but to reveal God and to reveal the human heart and to reveal the pathway to life. And one of the things that we see as we walk through the story, that depending upon which angle you go, whether you choose to define the story yourself or you choose to embrace the story that God's telling, dictates the life and the worship of God's people into some really beautiful places and promises, into some really devastating places. And for, for times, the, the word of God gets lost altogether, and then everybody's just sort of picking and choosing and doing what's right in their own eyes. When we come... To this passage today, we come to the darkest time in Israel's history when it comes to their relationship to God and what their worship looks like. There were two very wicked kings. One whose name was Manasseh and then his son. And they had tweaked and perverted and turned the temple and worship into this completely pluralistic sort of free-for-all. So to get an idea of what it would have felt like, imagine as you came into church today, 
if in the lobby we had like a, a medium over there, a, a person that you could go visit and speak to your dead relatives. And over here we had a fortune teller who could read your palms and horoscopes. And then we had sort of a, a bunch of altars to different gods. As you sat down, you sat next to a family that was grieving because they had just sacrificed their child to the god of Molech and had him killed as an offering. When you walked out, there were male prostitutes in all the houses around us that you could go to and sort of worship God in this very twisted, perverted way, this fertility gods. That is what was happening in the temple. It wasn't simply Israel standing out going, look at those Canaanites and Amorites and all these people of other cultures. It was happening with the people of God in the very place where God said that this is where I will let my name rest and my presence be. And the reason they ended up there is that they had completely lost God's word. They had no relationship to it anymore. Even though in Deuteronomy it was very clear like a king is supposed to make his own copy of the law. And he's supposed to meditate on it day and night so that he could himself worship and be obedient to this God who has loved them and saved them. But also so he could lead his people into faithfulness. And so what happens when we let go of that? What happens when we choose to trust in our own ideas and opinions and views? Well, the story of Scripture and the story of Israel is that that's where you you end up in this really dark place. And you can't really tell what's evil and what's good. And the things that you call evil or like faithfulness to Yahweh, they would look at their faithful worship to God and say, that's bad, that's oppressive. They would look at other things that were blatant, sort of idolatrous desecrations. And they would say, no, that's good. That's really good. If we trust in our own hearts to define good and evil without God revealing himself, then we end up in really weird places. And today in this passage, we come to a story of a king who despite all the odds and everything that was against him with his genealogy, with his grandpa and his father, he was a king who who really did love the Lord. Look with me at chapter 22, verse 1. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. And his mother's name was Jedidah, and then there's all these names. This is like a pastor's worst nightmare, because somebody out there is like Mr. Hebrew, and I'm just like, ah, da, ah, da, ah, ah. And she was from Ba'a'a'a. Anyways, you get the idea. And verse 2 says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David not turning aside to the right or to the left. Like despite all the odds, God raises up a king who becomes king when he's a young boy, 
who would have had plenty of opportunity for people to come in and manipulate him and educate him in really the same ways that his father and grandfather had lived. But something within Josiah's heart desired to follow the Lord and that he would follow him wholeheartedly. And so one of, the, one of his desires is to refurbish the temple. It's kind of getting old, it's falling apart. And so he sends his servants out to work on the temple. And what they find is they find the book of the law. They find a copy of the first five books of the Old Testament, particularly the book of Deuteronomy, which would have explained what a king was supposed to be and do. And and so he comes back, and his servant comes back, and he reads to him the book of the law. And when Josiah hears it, he tears his robes. It says, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robe and then he go and he gave orders to his servants in verse 13. It says, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written concerning us. What happens after a long period of time, when, when, when the word of God has been put aside, is that everybody did what was right in their own eyes, and the temple becomes this really twisted place. And Josiah wants to follow the Lord after King David, but even in that desire, he doesn't have the word of God. And the word of God, not just a list of rules, but the word of God as revelation. Here's what God requires. Here's who God is. Here's who we are. And he can look at what's revealed in those books. And then he can look at the temple. And he can look at the culture around him. He can look at the people's worship. And he can see this massive difference. This huge discrepancy, like we are so far away from what God had intended, and he tears his robes, which is the sign of lament and of grief and of repentance. Because Josiah's heart was that he would put himself under the word of God, and that that word would be revelation and authority that this is who God is, this is what he requires, this is what he designed you for, and this is how you live in peace and prosperity and blessing. And he recognizes that we are so far away from that, that we're in danger. So he sends, he sends his servants to go meet with the prophetess named Huldah, and she prophesies to him and to them that, listen, Josiah, God sees your heart and he knows that you have turned to him and so you won't see this destruction. But the truth is, Judah and Israel, they're going into exile. Exile is a word to be taken away from the promised land, to be taken away from temple, to be taken away from the presence of God. And so the story is tragic in the sense of, here is a God who redeems them and who saves them 
takes them into the promised land. He does this by miracle and power and blessing. And then they get there and then they just go the way that their hearts want to go. And they toss the word of God aside, completely forget about the revelation that God gave them. And they end up so far removed from what God wanted for them. We look at our lives, we see the discrepancies, but how would we know that our worship is wrong? How would we know that our views or that our opinions are, are, are not the way they're supposed to be? Like, will we trust in our own devices, in our own ideas? in our own desires, in our own passions? Will we, will we put the weight of our hearts on trusting our own hearts, knowing how self-deceived we can be? Or will we submit ourselves to God's word and let that reveal to us what's true, what's good, what's beautiful, what's dark, what's bad, what's evil? Will we cast ourselves on God in that moment or will we just sort of get angry and argue, see it as archaic or lame or oppressive or something your parents wanted you to believe? It's your decision, it's your choice, but scripture warns us over and over again. Paul says these things are written for us so that we wouldn't make the same mistakes. What is your relationship to the word when the word confronts your life? When God's view of whatever it might be, faithfulness, marriage, purity, singleness, life, money, sex, power, when when his word comes up against your opinion, what is your response The psalmist said this in Psalm 119. He says, rulers persecute me without cause, but my heart trembles at your word. Like people coming against David, people attacking, but he says, look, at the end of the day, what makes my heart tremble is your word. It's the revelation of what you think of what's true, what's right. It's the revelation of who you are And what my response is supposed to be, this is David with his heart fully submitted and surrendered to the word. But when the word confronts your opinion, your ideas, your lifestyle, what do you do? Do you tremble? Do you tear the cloak of your heart? Do you repent and become sorrowful and lament? Or do you you get hardened and not care and... Shrug it off. The importance of being a storied people is that our cultural worship isn't quite as extreme in some ways as theirs was, but, but we can mix it with materialism and consumerism, with our own sexual ideas, with what we think. You could still go on TV and 
dial into some medium that's telling you how to talk to your dead relatives, read your horoscope, right? There's all kinds of other gods that are inviting us to bow down, to give ourselves to them. What do you do when God's word confronts it? Why are those things wrong? Why would it be weird to walk into worship today and see all that stuff going on? How would we know? Well, we know because God has revealed himself to us. He's revealed himself to us through his word, which is why you wouldn't expect to see a fortune teller on your way to get coffee, right? You would know, like, I don't think that belongs here. Hopefully you know. Well, Josiah's repentance is bigger than just the fact that the prophetess tells him, look, you're going to be okay. God sees your heart, but, but the people of God are going into exile. He still comes back and leads them into reform. He calls all the people together, and the book of the law is read in front of them. He invites them to recovenant themselves, like almost like a marriage where you have been unfaithful to your spouse, but you're invited to come back and renew your vows of fidelity to your spouse. That what he's doing that with the people, and the people are agreeing, they're saying the right words. And then he goes and he he utterly destroys all the high places and all the false gods. He removes the priests. He tears down altars. The whole temple as well as the community is littered with these other things that people would worship. And he just, he destroys them. There's no reform like Josiah's reform. The scriptures say that he he loved the Lord with all his heart and mind and soul and strength. Like Josiah is lifted up as one of the most faithful kings since David. It goes David and then Josiah. But the Reformation is not enough. They renew the Passover and the people remember the story of their salvation. Everything's torn down, the temple is restored. But the people, as soon as Josiah dies, they go right back to where they were. Reformation always begins with sort of a renewal of God's word. But the truth is, his, re- his, his reformation was probably seen by people as just the king taking away the stuff we like, taking away the things we wanted, taking away the gods that we, we served. These outward reforms were not enough because even though it's helpful to break down those false gods that we run to, to quit them, to flee from them, the truth is without an internal transformation, they're powerless. And this is something the church has to learn because too often the story is reduced to rules. And when we hear the rules, we're like, we're supposed to do this, not do this, do this, don't do this. But without an internal transformation, like something in my heart has changed, nothing changes. We're just people who 
begrudgingly follow rules because the scripture is not a list of rules, it's revelation. Here's God, here's what relationship looks like. This is why you would let go of that or not participate in that or turn from that thing because God is desiring a love relationship with you. But if we miss that, then it just becomes these outward reforms. When I first became a follower of Jesus, I was like 19, and I remember showing up to this like college singles thing, and, and the guy talked about something, and then everybody was going to get rid of all their music. And I thought to myself, oh no, right? The, and then I had to learn a word, secular music, which I think means the, the good music, like the music that actually sounds like, oh, I like to listen to that music. And, and then it was like, hey, try this band. They kind of sound, no, they don't sound at all, really. It's not, not even good. Why aren't we burning that music? I that's what, so, so I took like the copies of my cassette tapes, which some of you have never seen, but you can look them up on Google. And of course, they were just like taped tapes. I, there wasn't the original copy. So, you know, I'm like, R.E.M., you evil thing, you know, whatever. Like, I listened to that one song and I worshiped the devil immediately. And, and so it was this sort of like, I'm going to rebuy all these albums. So I did. I just kept rebuying them. <laughs> because it, it had nothing to do with my heart. It was like, oh, we're, oh, this is a rule. I'm not supposed to listen to these bands. I can listen to these bands. I don't know who decided that. My heart knew, like, I don't like that music. I like this music. Now we all know you 2 is a Christian band. So we're like, oh, thank you. Jesus, <laughs> we have that. Um, of course, now they're as old as my dad. So you're like, eh, that's kind of cool. Not so much. Um, but, but it puts you in this place where you're like, you can tear down all kinds of things, but if your heart isn't engaged, then, then it's just this behavior, just this rule. See, the gospel says there is this wild stallion inside of you that will, will kind of go crazy and rebel against the Lord. But the answer isn't that we're going to build bigger fences. The answer is that Jesus changes the heart of the wild stallion. That there would be something that used to run to evil that would now run to the Lord. Something in me that would used to be attracted to all these false things that, that lead to death, but I thought they led to life, would now be attracted to Jesus. And if that component isn't there, then we're just going through the motions. Now, to be sure that it's important that we take aggressive action against the things that our hearts cling to that are different from the Lord. And so when you hear this in the New Testament, you hear the language of flee from this, get rid of this, turn from this, put this off, all that's there. But it's coming from a place where inside of my heart, there's been a transformation. And so I, I take this action, I destroy these altars to all my 
false god, but I, I do it out of a place where my heart's been changed. That can only happen through God's revelation, not from a rule-keeping kind of religion. And so despite all of Josiah's efforts, we're left at the end of the story with the reality that we need a better king. Like we need a king who can do more than just read the law and tear down our false altars. We need a king who can change our heart, who can reveal himself to us through his word and by his spirit, and who can draw us into the love of the Father. We need a king like Jesus. And so when we come to Jesus, we come to a better king, the king that we need, who will change us not just outwardly through behavior, but change that internal drive that, that drives us to do evil. Here's what it says in John chapter 14 when Jesus is speaking about his commands. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you're going to realize that I am in the Father and that you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and Show myself to them. Jesus is our better king. A king who comes and says, not only do I love you, not only have I come after you, but I'm interested in transforming your heart. And I know you can't do it on your own. So understand a couple things. One is that, that obedience comes from love, not rule-keeping. And so if you find yourself, right, worshiping other things, other gods, calling things that scripture says this is evil and you call it good, know that that's coming from a place in your heart. Like you love that thing, that person, that whatever, more than you love God. So you have a love issue. You love yourself, you love your own ideas, you love whatever, you love it more than Jesus. But if you love Jesus, if he's our first love, then obedience becomes this like, yes, I want life. I, I, I want your truth. I, I want to know you for who you are. I want to understand your word and walk in your ways because I love you. And then he says, but you're still not going to be able to pull that off. And so I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to give you the helper, the advocate who's going to be in you. 
to empower you because I'm not just asking you to change your heart. I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. This is a Jesus who doesn't just read us the old covenant and say, do it like Josiah did, but a Jesus who says, I'm establishing a new covenant in my body and with my blood. Receive it. Receive it. This is a king who invites us in to worship as relationship. That I am in the Father and you are in me. That there is this communion between the Father, Son, and Spirit and us that we get to walk in and live into. And that's the path to life. Jesus is our ultimate and better king. Now how do we know any of that? Because God has revealed that to us through his word. See, when you hear those words, you go from information to worship. I I realize I want that king. I want to receive that king. I want to follow that king. I want to love that king. I want to submit my heart to that king. And the only way you'll know who that king is and what he requires is if you submit yourself to his word. Because the word became flesh in Jesus. He gives you his spirit and he gives you his word to transform your life. See, Jesus is the king that brings an inner revolution to our lives that has an outer sort of implication that we become people who walk by his spirit and bear the fruit of his spirit and can be obedient to his word, not by our power, but by his. And how does that happen? How do we get in on that? Well, it was accomplished because he let himself go into exile on the cross to be separated from the Father and be destroyed for our rebellion so that he could overcome our rebellious hearts and give us a new heart, a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone, so that he could put his spirit within us, so that he could reveal himself to us through his word and by his spirit. You come to this table today to receive that king. And so I would ask you to come, and I would ask you to consider this. What is your response to God's word. Do you submit to it and let it reveal who he is and who you are? Or do you try to tweak it and twist it? What are those high places that you've created in your life, in your heart, in the world around you that you go to to worship instead of Jesus? Where are those, what are those things, those people, those passions, those loves that we should tear our cloak over and repent of because God has given us a better revelation? And then 
What does it look like for you to today kneel here and receive? Receive the one who has loved you, gone into exile for you, and invited you to be transformed through the revelation of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you in the name of Jesus by the Spirit. And I pray, Father, as we sit here with all of our, with all of our opinions about your word, as a people who very easily put themselves as an authority over your word, that, God, you would transform us. You would break us. You would reveal to us these places that we've allowed our heart to go. And in that conviction, God, we would grieve with sorrow. But that it wouldn't just stop there. It would actually lead us to our dependence, our desperation for Jesus to come and change our hearts. And that we would receive by your spirit the gift of forgiveness and hope and new life through Jesus Christ today. And then would you give us the courage in Christ to smash those things that have become our first loves so that we might return to the one who loved us first. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you are interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.imagodaycommunity.com.